Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast for choral conductors, composers, and choristers, where we interview members of our choral community to talk about new music, new and upcoming performances, and discuss the interpersonal and social dynamics of choral organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. 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 We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! This week, we're chatting with Abby Dobson and Brooke Williams, both members of the Resistance Revival Chorus. We talk about their work with the RRC and also about how choirs can affect social change. Let's go ahead and start off with a musical introduction to the Resistance Revival Chorus. Here's the title track from their brand new album, This Joy. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Don't you know that? This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Oh, I said the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. Oh, this strength that I have, this strength that I have. Take it away. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. 
can't take it away. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. All right. Today, we are talking with two members of the Resistance Revival Chorus, which is a collective of more than 60 women and non-binary singers who join together to breathe joy and song into the Resistance, and to uplift and center women's voices. The chorus members are mothers, grandmothers, touring musicians, film, television actors, Broadway performers, solo recording artists, gospel singers, political activists, educators, filmmakers, artists, and more, representing a multitude of identities, professions, creative backgrounds, and activist causes. The RRC centers women in music and addresses how historically marginalized women have been in the music industry. Our first guest is Abby Dobson, and Abby is a sonic, conceptual, performing artist and composer. She's also an activist and scholar, and is artist-in-residence with the African American Policy Forum, co-founded and led by noted legal scholar and activist Kimberly Williams Crenshaw. Abby was a 2017 Create Change Fellow with The Laundromat Project, and performs with Black Women Artists for Black Lives Matter. Recently, Abby was commissioned by the Laundromat Project in conjunction with Park Avenue Armory's Symposium on an initiative celebrating the 100-year anniversary of women's suffrage in the U.S. Abby currently serves as president of the National Organization for Women's New York City chapter and is an advisory board member of The Other Side, a theater-based global drama exchange program for girls. Before accepting her artist calling, Abby received a Juris Doctorate degree from Georgetown and a Bachelor's from Williams College in Political Science and History. Currently, Abby is a Master of Arts candidate in Political Science at the Graduate Center of CUNY and is an independent scholar whose research interests focus primarily on Black feminist political thought and praxis, the connection between art and politics, and the intersections of race, gender, and class in the imagination, consumption, production, promotion, and distribution of music, and the impact of those intersections on citizenship. Welcome, Abby. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And I get the distinct pleasure of introducing my old friend, Brooke Williams. Brooke Williams is a mother, activist, musician, and blogger living and working in Brooklyn, New York. A national organizer of the 2017 Women's March, she is a member of the Resistance Revival Chorus, a collective of women singing protest songs in tribute to the historical importance of music in protest movements. She is currently helping to run the Demo Crew, a group of like-minded democracy lovers reaching out to voters all over the country to give them the information they need to ensure their voices are heard. Brooke blogs about parenting, style, culture, and keeping it real at thisisauthentic.com and also creates content for various blogs, websites, and social media platforms. She also writes and records songs about all sorts of things under the name The New Black, and has recorded and performed with many bands, including The Silver Apples and Beastie Boys. Welcome, Brooke. Thank you very much for having me. It's awesome to be here. It's so good to see you. It's so good to, and it's so good to meet you, Abby. Awesome to meet you. One of the things we love doing here at In Unison is we kick off every chat we have with new folks, especially new friends and old, with an icebreaker. And this one's an oldie but a goodie. 
But let's say you're throwing a dinner party of folks who are either living or deceased. Question for both of you. Who are you inviting and what are you serving for dinner? So I was actually thinking a lot about this like way too long, actually. And then I, I kept thinking, okay, are, are we having this dinner party together? Is it like each one of us is having a dinner party? Do we want a small dinner party where it's just one conversation? Do we want sort of a lot of people? And and I feel like for me, the two things that I, I in any of those scenarios, I would want, um, I'd want Toni Morrison because she always made people feel good about themselves and comfortable and she could kind of see people wherever they were. Um, and definitely food wise, I'd go sort of soul food, but with lots of vegetarian sides so that everyone has something to eat. And then other than that, I don't know, Abby, who should we, who else should come? Oh my goodness. So Brooke, <laughs> I went on the other side of this, right? Where I like composed this entire list of people that I would love to have. And I, I won't say everybody, but um, I will say a few since you asked the question. And I think it's a great question. It's a beautiful question and one that I will steal. Um, but in addition to Toni Morrison, who was on the top of my list, I would say uh, members of the Combahee River Collective, um, Kimberly Crenshaw, Maya Angelou, Ida B. Wells, Fannie Lou Hamer, my grandmother, Frances Lenore Clark Burrell, um, James Baldwin, Ella Baker, Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald, Billy Holiday, Carrie Mae Weems, Harriet Tubman, Jesus, Sojourner Truth, uh, Queen Nanny, Ms. Lou, I'm Jamaican, Sweet High in the Rock, um, Audrey Lord, Kara Walker, my mother, um, <laughs> uh, and just, you know, a bunch of other people. And as far as I, you know, I'm trying to spare you guys that there are more people, but I'll, I'll, I'll spare. Um, and in terms of food, uh, Aki and Saltfish, um, yeah. as an ode to my Jamaican roots, stew peas and rice, uh, salmon for those who don't want to do, uh, meat but lots of vegetables cooked very soulfully. I totally agree, Brooke. Um, some cornbread, nod to my my U.S. roots and some roasted chicken, you know, keeping it simple. Yeah, I love it. My wife is actually Jamaican um, as well. And awesome. so I'm very familiar with ackee and saltfish. For our audience, ackee is a fruit. It's actually the national fruit of Jamaica and it grows in these bright red pods, but the fruit on the inside that's edible is uh, it looks kind of like scrambled eggs and has a similar mm -hmm. texture. And that's how it's treated. Typically, you would put it in a pan and warm it up with some salt fish um, and, and have that for your breakfast with a little scotch bonnet pepper in there as well. Absolutely. Exactly. Can't, can't leave that out. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what I need to do to get an invite to this party, but I will do it. I'm uh, this sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. You guys also like Jesus and James Baldwin as being our honorary male guests. You know, yeah. it was interesting because I thought about who would I want. I, I thought, you know, what, I think I'd rather have an all female dinner party because there's something about that. Um, it, it sort of alleviates uh, the sort of, you know, is are people going to start trying to flirt? Are people going to start trying to, you know, w which men am I going to have? What's that energy going to do? And and I have enjoyed um, sp spending so much time with so many women 
in the chorus, it's been a really interesting and really kind of amazing um, affirmation of the strength of sisterhood and mm-hmm. female relationships, which is not to in any way play down relationships between anybody else. And I have all sorts of friends that identify in the across the entire spectrum. But um, but I thought for this one, if I was going to pick a type and somehow narrow it down, I would go all women. But I feel like Jesus and James Baldwin would be good <laughs> tokens to have. Two beautiful, two beautiful men of color. <laughs> exactly. Yes. yes. <laughs> Well, since we just touched on the chorus, uh, why don't we dive right into that? And um, maybe, Brooke, you can tell us a little bit about you know, what is the Resistance Revival Chorus? How uh, was it founded? When was it founded? Um, you know, and, and how you guys got involved? Uh, so uh, the Resistance Revival Chorus was basically it was founded out um, by several members of the who were original national organizers of the Women's March. Um in 2017. So basically about six months into the Trump uh, administration when it, it it really sunk in that this was going to be a just a constant onslaught of, you know, one thing after the other. There's the Muslim ban, there's the uh, family separation. I mean, it was just like one thing after another. And in order to be really present and really active, it's exhausting. And um, and I'll list the women because their names really deserve to be uh, to be listed. Sarah Sophie Flicker, Ginny Sush, Ginny Sus, sorry, Jenna Lauder, um, Paola Mendoza, Nalini Stamp, Shruti Gangli, and Alyssa Klein, who were all um, very very active in in Women's March and in those early days, and were really kind of trying to figure out how to instill energy and hope when it started to feel like, oh my God, like, what are we, what are we actually going to be able to make it through these four years still standing? Um, And a lot of, a lot of those women are very sort of involved in, in other cultural aspects. Ginny Suss has done a lot in the music business. um, And, uh, everyone was very aware of the importance and the central role that music has played in so many social movements. And the idea was we really need to bring that voice to this iteration of the women's movement and to sort of continue the long tradition of all these incredible artists who've come before us and to try to both shine a light on their work and also potentially create some new work that speaks to the present. Um, and so they decided, let's just get some of our friends together. Who do you know? And they, we, there were maybe 20, 25 of us that showed up um, at Sarah Sophie Flicker's dining room table in Brooklyn Heights um, in the spring, late spring of 2017. Oh, no, 20, yeah, 2017. Um, and just went around the table and it was an incredible mixture of activists who were interested in exploring musicality, musicians who wanted to explore activism, you know, just friends who could carry a tune who really were frustrated with feeling like they didn't have anything that they could do, you know, and how could they make a difference? And we just started singing. Um, And it, it really kind of mushroomed from there. There was another meeting and it was kind of is it good no one knew is it just going to be something casual is it going to become something serious um but 
very early on the kind of incredible feeling of kind of of community and bonding and strength and just um I, we just at least i felt all of a sudden hopeful in a way that i had not felt at all in the past the you know the sort of six months before and i realized that this can become a really powerful voice um and then we did a uh action a sort of a flash mob in a way in uh Times Square and videotaped it and it went viral, which was kind of amazing. And, you know, and it was, and then I feel like suddenly it was just, oh, you know, these people want you to sing. These people want, we were started becoming, you know, being invited to appear in various marches and demonstrations, but also, you know, um, Carnegie Hall and uh, singing at, benefits for various organizations who we felt sort of aligned with and um and it really kind of spiraled from there um how does that sound good great a, I, I that's was the ask sort of one. origin story i guess but and abby no i think brooke you captured it amazingly well um i couldn't have said it any better myself um you know i think you know, I was at that meeting uh, at Sarah Sophie's house um, around her beautiful dining table and uh, at the first action in Times Square and um, remember seeing on Facebook, you know, this call for singers and which is what I responded to. And um, a couple people suggested that I, you know, try to be a part of the chorus because different people, you know, they were hearing about it. Ginny as Ginny Suss, as Brooke said, has done a lot of work uh, in the music in the commercial music industry and um, put the word out on Facebook to many people who are parts of various communities that she is a part of. Um, and it was just amazing to, I'd wanted to, I, I was feeling the need to be part of a woman's chorus, a chorus of, 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 of female voices. Um, I had sort of spoke that into my, you know, we all have things that we want that we sort of write about or put out into the universe. And that was a period of time when I was saying to myself, I really want to sing and with women and in partnership with women and be around women's voices. And sure enough, this came up and it's been an awesome experience. Um, the way in which this chorus serves as um, a force, an aesthetic force, uh, and, and the whole point uh, of those people who started the chorus, those amazing uh, women who started the chorus, was to, to create a counterbalance and a, a counterweight, rather, to what was coming out of the White House. Um, and uh, I would say that the chorus has been very successful because uh, that person is no longer in the White House. Let's hear those women's voices serving as an aesthetic force for change, singing, Woke Up This Morning With My Mind Stayed on Freedom.
this morning with my mind Stayed on freedom Woke up this morning with my mind Stayed on freedom Woke up this morning with my mind Stayed on freedom Hallelujah 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 Oh well I'm walking and talking with my mind Come on Walking and talking with my mind, you know that it's set on freedom. I said I'm walking and talking with my mind, you know that it's set on freedom. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh well, there ain't no harm with your mind. I said there ain't no harm with your mind Ooh, when it's set on freedom. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on and walk now. Walk, walk. You better walk, walk. Come on and walk, walk. With your mind on freedom. Walk, walk. Come on and walk, walk. You better walk, walk, walk with your mind on freedom. Oh, you better walk, walk, walk. come on and walk, walk, walk. Well, I'm singing and shouting with my mind. Sing on, sing on freedom. Singing and shouting with my mind. Oh, you know it's Singing and shouting with my mind You know that it's on freedom Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah, I want to follow up on something, uh, Brooke, that you that you mentioned, which was that you made this first appearance in Times Square, and then things started snowballing. It went viral. There was a pickup, and suddenly you were being invited to different places to perform. Why do you suppose that was? And does it have something to do with singing specifically? Well, I think that there is something, I mean, the the real answer is probably like I don't you know I'm not an expert who knows really but um but I but I do think that there's something about um singing and singing in community that or, or singing together in a group that 
that brings this sense of community. And it was something that we desperately needed and still do need. It's so important. But I think that it's something that um, people, we just, we really needed it. It was like we'd been kind of knocked down and everyone's kind of scattered. And the idea was to kind of, bring that sense of cohesion and also the sense of joy. And, and all of the songs are a combination of being um, empowering, but also joyful and, and joy, not in this kind of silly, happy, like, you know, surface level, but this kind of deep, profound, powerful joy. And we, we uh, constantly refer to a quote, joy is an act of resistance and we talk about joy being an act of resistance um and that is a central central theme um and central sort of philosophy around which uh we really um which really motivates us to do the work that we do so the idea is that if and and this is something that i often say to my daughter i say you know if the bad guys the bad guys win if we're so sad and depressed that we just stay in bed, that's them winning. Mm. So the way that we can continue to stand up is to just show them, you know what, we're still here. We're still joyful. You're not taking that away from us. Um, and that is something that I, I've countless times I've watched audiences really sort of brighten up and get excited and feel like, okay, like, yes, yes, we're going to call our senators and yes, we're going to do this. And we're definitely going to go out and vote and look, you know, and it's sort of this, um, you know, I mean, in a way it's, it's, you could even say we're cheerleaders, but in the sort of profound sense of the word, which is like getting rallying the team, like getting everybody motivated to do the work because there's a hell of a lot of work to be done. Um, and so if we're doing it with a smile on our face and feeling like we're in it together, you know, that's, that's the reason we're doing what we're doing. We love the world and we're trying to make it a better place for everyone. You know? So I feel like you could just tell you could, I mean, if you look at the video in times square and you look at the people, the shots of the people who are kind of coming and being like, Hey, what is this? And they all sort of start to smile and kind of get into it. And that's, you know, it's sort of, that's what's infectious. And the more that happens, the more people want it to happen. I have to say, I had a, a similar reaction when I looked at the, the track list on, your, on the CD, which um, is called This Joy, so ap quite apropos. And there's a track, I think, that's called All You Fascists About to Lose. And I yes. thought, oh, gosh, what's this going to be? Like, this sounds like it's really heavy. And it is one of the most joyful, happy things. And I am, like, <laughs> clapping along, being like, yes, you are. That is exactly what's going to happen. And it's fantastic. It's just full of such joy. I just wanted to add to um, what Brooke just said. There's a quote, and I was looking for it while you were talking. I was like, there's this quote that, I, that you're making me think of um, uh, by Dr. Bernice Johnson Reagan that speaks to the, the particular thing about singing that um, is so resonant with people who come in contact with it. And, and one of the reasons why, um, you know, over 60 women, um, non-binary individuals coming together and lifting their voices together is, is, is so significant. And the quote is, 
sound is a way to extend the territory you can affect. So people can walk into you way before they can get close to your body. Um, and so anytime any, anybody who comes into that space where you've been singing, as long as you're singing, they cannot change the air in that space. The song will maintain the air as your territory. And for me, that's kind of one of the really important things about singing. Um, you know, there's this energy, one, the body is the vessel, the container, um, and there's nothing, there's no mediation. It is, it is you um, reverberating with bodies around you. And um, that energy, you know, people feel that there's something um, unique about voices lifted up, lifted up either with words or not with not words, uh, without words, the energy, the, the, the waves, the vibrations, I don't know what it is. I can't, it's, it's beyond our ability to really express it in words, but we all know what it feels like when, when we feel it. And I think that's why, um, in my mind, singing is such an important tool for, for having conversations that we need to have. Let's put some more of that good intention out into the world. Here's the Resistance Revival Chorus singing All You Fascists Bound to Lose by Woody Guthrie.
I, I love that description. And I, it makes me think about um, the greater choral community in general and at large, because I think that um, you you're both have described the importance of singing as a somatic experience with one another, the political importance of it, but also it makes me think about how um, both different and unique the RRC is in the landscape of, of uh, sort of other groups that are out there. And it makes me wonder, we had a conversation with um, Vince Peterson of Choral Chameleon, who's aiding in breaking down barriers to music education and rethinking the idea of choral arts from every perspective, from listeners and, and musicians. And you all are, are representing the sort of uh, resistance to the status quo, which is wonderful. But I wonder, the question for both of you, have either of you met with resistance from the choral community? Do people put you in a box because of how you present yourselves and some may consider non-traditional concerts? Have you ever met with that sort of resistance? Um, I'm not familiar with that kind of resistance, to be honest with you. I think, you know, as a member of the Resistance Revival Chorus and um, individually also doing music that I hope will make the world a better place, um, not so much focused on what uh, other people are saying about what it is the chorus does, uh, focusing on doing the work, which I think is a part of you know, the traditions that the chorus comes out of and also part of the point of the chorus. Not to say we're not responsive to, you know, it's important to be a good listener um, as, as, a, as an art maker. Uh, so I'm not saying that it's not important to listen, but I think the focus is not so much on uh, critiques of us. I haven't heard any, uh, to, to be quite honest. Uh, but we're really, you know, set on doing the work that we think is important as a, as a collective and as individuals, particularly during this time. Um, and there's no, you know, real point of focusing on, um, you know, energy is important on that kind of energy. If it's something for us to learn from, uh, then I'm all for it. I'm all ears. Um, but if it's not, then I'll shut it down. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like, I think that we have just begun to really be noticed by the greater, greater choral community through this record that's come out. I mean, I think that, and, you know, I, I sort of feel like it's just in the past, maybe like two or three months that I've notice that we're starting to get more attention from you know people like you guys and we talked to a um i spoke to a woman in brighton who's got a radio station who has a show about different different um choral groups and i felt actually really excited to be included in this you know greater community that i was really only just becoming aware of you know i was like whoa there's all this this is amazing you know and sort of thinking about different we've been doing you know we have done some uh festival shows but with more um pop and hip-hop and and you know other groups and folk more and the idea of actually being in say like a a, a festival that's a choral music festival would be amazing you know, and I feel like it's a great, it's like a whole other world that I, you know, after my high school choir um, uh, 
career have not been have not been super aware of. So it's really it's I feel like it's you know I think that it's exciting for us to be included in this greater universe. But at the same time, we're doing what we're doing, and if doing what we do can be included in this greater universe, then that's amazing. Then if not, that's also fine. You both also represent um, some really interesting um, a spectrum of musicianship, which, by the way, we love on this podcast, and we're huge fans of seeing where things are going, and we want what's new and sort of what's interesting um, to absolutely always have a place. So I think I think everything you're saying is 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 part of that. Um, but for Abby, you we described you uh, at the beginning of the episode as being a sonic conceptualist, performing artist, and composer. Those are words I'm not familiar with. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that means. Well, to me, it means I've I've seen the word conceptual associated with visual artists more. Uh, so um, sonic for people who do soundscapes. Um, for me, I wanted to um, sort of rename myself. You know, for a long time, I just thought of myself as a singer and then as a singer songwriter um, and a singing musician. Um, sonic conceptual performing artist composer resonates with me because it captures the extent to which when I am creating a piece of music or approaching performing a piece of music that I haven't created, um, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. There's a lot of um, homework that goes into it. Um, I'm thinking about conceptually what I'm trying to get across uh, what the point is of the piece or my approach to the piece. And so I wanted a, a phrase or a, a naming that to me connotes the, the gravitas or the weight of what it is that I'm bringing to it as an artist. And I find that in our culture, uh, when people say singer, uh, there is a conception that does not um, bring a certain gravitas or weight to what, or importance to what is being done. Um, and I've always felt that singers bring so much to an equation, uh, whether they're singing in, in a chorus or uh, singing something that somebody else has written or something that they've written. You know, I, 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 for instance, I think that one of my favorite singers of all time, Whitney Houston, um, was, <laughs> was, was in fact a songwriter, although she's not credited as such because whenever she sang a song, she essentially changed that song um, and nobody sang it like her. Nobody will ever sing it like her. Um, and so I say all that to say that there's a, there's a, um, a, a just a level of, you know, it, it was my way of sort of like putting on, a, you know, a gown, so to speak, um, or a, a really regal fabric or cloth uh, to dress what it is that I do as an artist, um, to, to, to let people know that what I do is, is, is important and thoughtful and, um, and as worthy as, uh, someone who calls himself a conceptual artist in a, a visual art, a visual art, uh, context. And the last thing I'll say about that is, you know, I think about the the way in which we value different forms of art. And I don't think that as a culture, we value 
sonic art in the way that we do other forms of art, whether that's, um, you know, expository writing, literature, uh, poetry, um, you know, uh, visual art, um, in terms of what we will pay an artist who is sonic based. And I, and I think that we just need to approach it differently. And I wanted to name myself differently in order to um, help to realize that. That leads me to, to ask a little bit about your, your process in composing. We first came across you through your exceptional composition, Say Her Name which Thank we you. had the opportunity to play a, a small snippet of uh, a few weeks ago, but and I'm hoping we'll be able to play a bit more of it uh, in this episode. But I wanted to spend a moment talking about that, that piece and sort of where did this piece originate for you and what did you consider when writing that piece? That's such a great question. And um, that piece has a, is about something that I hold in such reverence, which is the memory of, of Black women and girls who've been killed by uh, police officers, one, or who've been killed by acts of state violence um, or intimate partner violence. Um, what I considered were stories, were stories of women and girls who'd been killed by police officers. Um, I was inspired by the work of Kimberly Crenshaw and the African-American Policy Forum, there is a moment when I decided that I wanted to write that song. I had been a fan of Kimberly Crenshaw's work for a long time, influenced by intersectionality that she coined um, many years ago and began to follow in about, you know, 2014, 15, the work of the African-American Policy Forum began to follow um, her work around um, recognizing that when you look at police brutality, that so much of the narrative, so much about the, so much of the discussion focused on black men. And there was not enough conversation around black women who are also getting killed. There was a call to, to accompany AAPF at a march uh, uh, I think it was in, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was after Mike Brown had been killed, um, after Eric Garner had been killed. And I went to just help them hold up the banner. I didn't know anyone in the organization. I just went uh, to Harlem to walk with them to march down Fifth Avenue. And at the time I was helping them hold the banner and marching down Fifth Avenue. And most of the names that were being called out were names of men. In fact, all of them were being, were, that were being called out were names of men. And I remember hearing Glory by uh, John Legend and Common on the, you know, this boom box as we were walking down and just feeling so emotional in that moment. And in that moment, I wanted to write a song that would honor the lives of black women and girls that could, to create that level of, of, of emotion and connection and empathy for their lives that Glory did generally for, um, uh, you know, Black people advocating for civil rights and, and the, the civil rights, human rights of, of, of Black men uh, killed by, by police officers. And so that's what started it. Um, I wanted 
to write a song and went home and put pen to paper. And there was a report that AAPF put out. I read all of the stories in that report. I sat with it. Um, I listened to news reports about women who'd been killed by police officers. I went back in my own mind. I remembered as a child hearing about cases like Eleanor Bumpers in New York. Um, one of the first cases that I can think of uh, where a black woman had been killed uh, because she couldn't pay her uh, rent um, and was being evicted by housing cops and ended up being killed uh, because she had a mental illness and um you know, that was the response. Let's hear Abby Dobson sing her own powerful composition, Say Her Name. Alexia Christian, Tanisha Anderson, Yvette Smith, Shara Fry, Rosser, Chantel Davis, Kayla Moore, Michelle Crusoe, Megan Danner, Hockaday, Maya, Eleanor Bumhouse, India Beatty, John Land, India Kager, Natasha McKenna, Hurley, Marielle Golden, Franco, Ayana Stanley Jones. Say. Her name, for all the names I cannot say, say their names, for all the names I'll never Hey. 
games Black girls matter Say their names Black women matter Say, say her name. Say, say her So long story short, um, I was inspired by the work of this organization. I was inspired by marches that I went to where I saw people um, marching and, and, and agitating about this issue. And then I read about it and listened to people telling the stories of their family members, the people who stood up at these marches and said, this is my sister, this is my daughter. Um, and I wanted to create a space to remember black women and girls, uh, to honor them and to call us all to action, to do something about it. Uh, even if it's as simple as rethinking how we think about it and how we feel for someone that doesn't look like us, uh, but whose life was taken away for literally no reason, no reason at all. Brooke, as a, as a singer, who has performed this piece, uh, presumably through the RRC, as an artist yourself, uh, and as a mother, how did you receive and respond to this piece? Um, it literally knocked me flat down on the floor. Like I feel like the first time I remember, I'll, I remember so clearly the first time um, <clears throat> I heard it, and it's just the entire room goes completely silent and abby just takes everyone with her on this incredible journey through through these the memories of all these women and i just remember you know going through and i think this is just who wouldn't go through this i was kind of like oh my god this isn't this is incredible and then completely kind of distraught and then feeling really angry and then feeling like what's even the point of me i mean i could never write anything like this this is so amazing <laughs> like, we should just have it, her just sing this over and over and over again um and and i just and and then and and sort of righteous indignation and um and every time uh, I hear it, it's a different name 
sticks out in my head and I learn about something else. So it's just this kind of education as well um, as a very emotional um, motivation. Um, and then as a mother, which is a large part of how I've come to become much more of an active activist, because I suddenly have this living, breathing future tense that takes up a good part of my energy. Um, the idea of it's one thing to imagine myself being in this situation, and but a much more profound thing to imagine my daughter being gunned down for no reason, being, you know, taken, beaten, you know, any of these things. And, and there's no reason to assume that it couldn't be her. Um, and so that is just this really kind of visceral, incredibly strong, um, motivating feeling, to be honest. I mean, it was just kind of like, okay, okay, okay. What, okay. We got it. What, what, what can we do? Like, we need to figure this out. Like we need to, everybody has to be on this. Um, so I think, you know, and, and I also, and I also remember that first night just being like, I can't believe I know her. Like, this is amazing, you know, <laughs> she's amazing. I mean, and I feel that a lot about so many chorus members. I mean, I feel like every, there's so many of us that you, you know, we're still all getting to know each other. And I'm learning another incredible thing about another woman who I've been standing next to for now, like, you know, four years, every time, you know, yeah. and it's really, really, I mean, even just reading Abby's um, bio, I was just like, wait, what? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, like all Ditto. these things I didn't even <laughs> know about, you know? So, um, so I feel like, and, and I also felt, and I still do always feel proud that I get to be a part of a sisterhood and a part of an artistic collective that includes this profound piece of music. Um, so those are my feelings about Say Her Name. From the date I sang the song at our first Resistance Revival Night performance, um, City Winery, everybody embraced it and everybody had just the most beautiful things to to say to me ab about it and you know that it ended up on our first album was just also another beautiful thing that I'm so grateful for the opportunity to to have contributed that piece um, to this album and and I was happy to have it be included because I knew that Ginny Sus and that the chorus in general would take good care of it and we'll be good stewards of it yeah it's a great start for that album if it's the very first track and it's it sets the tone for the album it's beautiful the past year has brought a lot of attention uh, to issues of social justice and adei to the forefront of political discourse in america and i wanted to ask you both what role do musicians and artists in general play in this conversation what's our responsibility I feel really passionately about this issue. Um, you know, kind of like my soliloquy <laughs> on the importance of singers. Um, 
I feel that as a person throughout my life's journey that the artist, we've been sort of conflated with entertainment mostly, particularly performing artists, singing artists, but just art in general. Um, and that's something that's never sat well with me. And I think that I'm of the school, you know, that's why I'd want James Baldwin at my dinner party because, you know, James Baldwin uh, talked about the importance of the, the artist being at war with society on a certain level and teaching the, the, the society um, reflecting back to society, what society looks like. Um, and I think as artists, we all have a lover's war with our society. Um, and that part of that is our function as um, not just mirrors, but we have a responsibility to uh, hold up for society what is happening. Because sometimes we, we've seen, particularly over the last five years, where people will not agree on what is actually factual and what is actually happening in a community. And artists, we, part of our function is to, is to do that, is to till that, that field, is to let people know this is happening and, and express it in a way that somebody can actually um, embrace it or relate to it or, 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 or realize it. Um, and so I think the artist has a great function and responsibility to reflect society um, and also be the space where we think about future. How, how do we help society transform? How do we help society be better than it is now? How do we um, move us closer to, to, a, to, to a, an experience of, of, of humanity that honors our dignity as, as human beings? And I think that's that's the function of artists that has been um, shortchanged by our material um, existence uh, in, in, a, in a society where the material is held up over um, anything else. And our, um, our focus or privileging on the commercial and commerciality of art has really hurt um, our ability to realize our function as truth tellers, truth sayers, and transformational artists, transformational uh, beings. I know I could have said that better, but that's essentially what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, everything she said, um, first of all, of course. And then, um, and I, I just, I feel like, you know, right. I feel like we're just, I guess I'll piggyback on the idea of like really leading the idea of artists leading us forward into a new possibility and being, um, being the, you know, our role is to help open people's minds up and their eyes up so that they're able to see what a beautiful world we can potentially build. And part of it is, you know, very specific, you know, in terms of, okay, we can, you know, do, do this, or we're going down to the governor's house and we're asking for specific things or, you know, whatever. And part of it is just literally 
um, creating that atmosphere and that space that that you were that Abby you were sort of talking about. Um, Bernice Johnson Reagan was talking about in her quote about sort of sonically creating a, a space and an atmosphere and a feeling. Um, so it's in a way I I feel like I guess the the simplest way is to just say that I feel like it's our role to open people's hearts and when people's hearts are open um, they are able to see more clearly and understand sort of how the importance of working together to create a world that we can all live in that is accessible that is diverse that that celebrates that celebrates difference so that we're not talking about i don't see color but that you understand that seeing color is actually an incredible beautiful thing and it's a gift that we live in a world where there are all these colors to see um and so the idea for us now is to really help people bring people to a place where they are able to understand that and see that truth. Brooke, I want to follow up with you and and, uh, and Abby as well about um, what those tools of transformation might look like. Um, Brooke, specifically for you, you are, I would dare say, a tastemaker. You're a blogger. You you use different tools to sort of get your, your voice and your point of view across. And I wanted to maybe share with our audience some of your thoughts about um, how you think about using some of the current tools at our disposition, whether it's social media or good old face-to-face conversation to Facebook. Um, what tools do you find uh, most impactful for affecting social change? And what do you avoid? Well, I'm, you know, 55 years old, so I avoid TikTok because I don't understand it, you know? <laughs> same same Um, my best friend keeps sending me tiktoks and i'm like i can't i just i can't (laughs) i know like what what even is that (laughs) um so i mean i feel like there is and there is something to just using whatever you feel comfortable expressing yourself in whatever that may be so um i i think that Twitter is kind of amazing for certain people. I I wish I were more active on Twitter, but I don't really, I don't really do much there. Um, I think of myself as a visual person. So for me, Instagram, um, things that involve a combination of images and words really um, resonate. And so that is where I've kind of found my strongest kind of social media community. Um, but I, but I do, I do real, I realize that there are so many different, um, there's so many different things, so many different kind of avenues you can choose. You can, you're walking down Twitter, you're walking down Instagram, you're walking down Facebook, then, you know, the kids will be like, Oh, Facebook, nobody uses Facebook, but clearly lots of people use Facebook because, you know, there are all sorts of, look at the storming of the Capitol. They were on Facebook. Um, so I, you know, so I feel like you, for me, you know, if I were going to be giving someone advice or writing an instruction booklet, it would sort of be say, check out everything, see what speaks to you and what, how you feel like you can make the best connection. 
Um, and then also very, very importantly, do not discount in-person uh, anything, although it's been difficult throughout the course of this last year. But I, you know, I would feel that like my sort of strongest moments of motivation and connection have been in person. Although I have found out about a lot of those different things through social media. So through any any combination of blogs and also podcasts, I find I learn a lot. Um, and there's, you know, a whole list of them. I'm, I'm sort of a New York Times daily addict. And then I kind of go from there. And um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's sort of, it's like use whatever works and then um and try also not to fall into the the trap of self-comparison or you know any of the other kind of ways in which social media can just make you feel bad about yourself because there are all sorts of there are all sorts of very um dangerous aspects to the way that we relate via media via you know to each other via all these different things and how we immediately look at pictures and we're just like everyone else's life looks really amazing and I'm not doing anything and how and even and I found that I think that even though I actually know what the real lives are of some of the people whose feeds I follow I still can catch myself looking like that you know so I feel like that's that's a danger um and I but at the same time, there are so many really powerful, you can use these, these social media outlets as really powerful tools for motivating people. Um, but it's very important that you don't use them to silo yourself. Abby, how about for you? I think um, I'm not a real social media person. I'll preface that and be very honest and transparent. However, um, I think it's a great tool to uh, to reach people where they are, um, so to speak, uh, during this time, this time meaning just this time in the world, not just like, because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but I, but I think that content still really matters. And so for me, um, I really love the opportunity to be able to, to perform live even in the context of you know a zoom or something that will be um, put out on on social media because i think that that is the the best way for me to communicate my my point of view my position and um hopefully to to do what brooke talked about which is to open hearts and minds with um uh what it is that is my offering in, in a particular situation um i think that um, another thing that I, that is important in terms of fostering the transformative power of, of artists, um, generally, uh, is that artists need to also get into different spaces. And so in addition to putting our wares, so to speak, um, out in social media land, uh, it's important for us to um, be in positions where we can help policymakers make better choices. Um, and that means uh, sometimes uh, becoming 
active in organizations that are um, advocacy organizations, in addition to the performing organizations or the visual arts organizations that we are a part of, um, so that we can help steer the conversation and tell people what it is we think uh, about the world and where we think it needs to go and and also what we we need as artists to do what it is that is important for us to do for our societies and so so um i you know one great example of that for me is something that um jenny suss and others organized uh joy to the polls which i think was really successful during the last um presidential election um, you know, just getting people to, bringing people joy uh, in a polling site um, and being very organized and coordinated about that so that it happens in a number of places at the same time. Um, and keeping people motivated to do their civic duty. And so to sum it up, the last thing is just looking for moments where we can use our artistry, our craft through social media to be about civic engagement on some level. Let's hear some of what frightens Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Here are some sounds from the Instagram feed of the Joy to the Polls organization, a nonpartisan initiative to bring music and artistry to entertain people waiting in epic lines to vote at the Georgia runoff elections last January. Every day I'm hustling, hustling, hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Hey Georgia, don't forget it's the runoff elections, and don't forget to bring your joy to the vote. Celebrate. Being a boss is being involved. Being a boss is being in the game. Can't nobody determine your net worth. Can't nobody determine your value. You understand? Us coming out, us musicians coming out doing music, it gets the people out, have a good time, you know what I'm saying? Music brings people together. Music, yeah. music is happening. If we keep being active and like people like me coming out here and encouraging our, using our platform to encourage our fans to come out here and stuff too, it's, it's only up from here. Like, the change is coming. Somebody like as big as Rick Ross, for him to come out, it shows that we can definitely make a change, especially if somebody as big as him that actually cares about the phone. So I say for us being the next generation, we got to focus on actually going out and voting because I'm not going to be complaining later on about something I didn't vote for. There you go. And just our job is just push it and then make people want to vote. I feel like we definitely trying to make a change in the world. Instead of trying to persuade people to vote and get them reason why they should, we trying to educate them and trying to show them why they need to vote because it's not a fact of, oh, y'all should just do this. This is something that's going to change everybody's life and we all come together and do it. So it's a big movement. In order to encourage people to wait in line, we're bringing music, we're handing out PPE, we're bringing snacks, water, whatever it takes to get people to stay, be able to vote. We're just trying to make voting the joyful experience it should be. We're trying to make sure that our community knows we have to get out and vote again. Tell everybody you know you have to come and vote. You will make the difference in this election. You have that power. You will make the difference of making sure that we have policies that affect our community. And we're at the finish line, I promise you. Georgia, 
All eyes are on you. Join to the polls, man. Go vote. Go vote. Go vote. Go vote. In our waning few moments, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience, projects you're working on, things that we can look out for, or maybe where we can find you online? Well, uh, we just, we came out with our album, This Joy. So um, the Resistance Revival Chorus, you can find it on, you know, wherever you download music. So if it's, it can be Spotify, it can be iTunes, it can be wherever else um we're on righteous babe records so you can actually um i think still purchase a vinyl uh, copy which is i'm not quite sure when they're actually going to press the vinyl because uh the pandemic has kind of slowed everything down but we we made we made a red record so um if anybody still has a has a old style record player you can pick up you know me too i'm so excited <laughs> um <laughs> So there, so for me, I mean, that's, that's the big thing. Um, and then I, um, I'm on Instagram as this is authentic and I've got a blog at this is authentic.com. And, um, I'm going to be sort of writing about all this stuff and hopefully, um, connecting with as many people as I can in many different ways that I can. And then we can bring everybody back to the concerts and, you know, group in IRL experiences that I am really, really craving right now, especially as a singer, um, uh, as a member of a, a chorus, to just have that feeling of singing all together. And we we met, uh, we some of us met up in Harlem um, this weekend with the Working Families Party to sing for their Thrive Agenda. To, it was a, a the action was called jamming for jobs and they were incredible musicians and singers and we sang and I haven't sung out loud with members of the chorus in such a long time. And it was the most incredible feeling. And it just got me all excited about hitting the, hitting the streets and hitting the, I think we're maybe we're going to be Bonnaroo. I think we're talking about, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, as that goes, if that happens, we will be there. Also the Newport folk festival same thing so those are two um places you can catch the chorus if you're feeling adventurous and want to come out um and that's that's it i think abby's got a bunch of things going on too so um in addition to what brooke just said about the chorus uh i told first want to say i totally agree i, I long for you know the time when we can get together without masks and um, you know, really sing with each other um, and uh, just be together in a way that we we have grown accustomed. Um, and in addition to those wonderful gigs that are slated to um, happen, uh, for me, I'm you know just continuing to uh, try to find opportunities to uh, marry my love of music and my my love of um, purposeful music with um, activism, um, particularly passionate about uh, creating music that inspires empathy for Black women and girls. And, and that's a part of my my mission statement as an artist and, and, and what, what gets me going. 
And uh, being in the Resistance Revival Chorus is certainly on mission for me, and uh, especially in the way it's, it centers uh, so many different types of, of women, uh, which is one of the, the beautiful aspects of it that we haven't talked about today, but I just wanted to mention. Um, what's coming up for me is that I am currently working on, it's. I have a title, but it's tentative title. It's probably not gonna be exactly the right title, but I'll say it. Um, this pandemic has been crazy for all of us, right? And I think one of the things that it has reminded us all of, I imagine, uh, as thinking and feeling people, is that, you know, love and community are things that we cannot take for granted um, because you, you don't know the day, you don't know the hour. And um, for so much of the time over the last few years with the last administration and leading up to that, I feel like we've been in the belly of a war. And as an artist that's trying to do work that's socially responsible and about social justice, I had to remind myself that love is the greatest of all things. Um, and so I want to do a project and I'm working on one called tentatively, tentatively love in times of war, a healing. And so that's up for me. That's slated for later on in 2021, just a collection of songs that focus on love, but with, um, love, but with an eye on, on, on social justice. Thank you both for that. And this has been a, a wonderful conversation. I can't thank you both enough for for sharing your, your time with us, your insights and your music and your art. Um, I'm so looking forward to, uh, to getting to continue this conversation with you both at some point in the future. Yeah, thank you for joining us and thank you for everything that you're doing and, and so many of the sentiments that you've expressed, I, I wholeheartedly agree with and I, it's just really wonderful to share your voices. So yeah, thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> we're so we loved it. I, we're we're really appreciative of um, your approach uh, and your questions and your energy and your spirit. And it's been a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you for including us in your universe. Let's end today's episode with some lasting joy. Here's the Resistance Revival Chorus singing Joy in Resistance by Abina Kumsen Davis. What the world needs now is joy and resistance. We will fight the good fight with or without your assistance. Move out of the way if you can't support the mission. What the world needs now is joy and resistance. All we need
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison podcast. If you've got ideas for our podcast, please send us a message at ideas at inunisonpodcast.com. And who knows, maybe Chorus Dolores will ask us to talk about it during announcements. <laughs> In Unison is sustained, nourished, and fostered by you, our loyal and loving listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to In Unison on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at InUnisonPod. And hey, if you like what you heard, tell a friend or a section mate. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon. Retreat forms are available from Chorus Dolores. Who needs them back yesterday, people? In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.